Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four Gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the Gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All right, gang. Hey, do you even remember where we were before we took a break and we went to Matthew for Passion Week? It took about a month, uh, but we left off in the middle of the first ever missions trip. The first time that anybody took Jesus' words called the Great Commission to go into all the world for 10 years Christians were just evangelizing in Israel, the promised land. But after a decade of that, the first missions trip ever from the first church outside of Israel ever uh, sent Paul and Barnabas out. You'll recall we're in the middle of that first of three trips back to back in the book of Acts. So we're in the middle of that first missionary effort to take the gospel to the Roman Empire. Let's pray. Now, Father God, there's a lot to learn. Their calling, our calling. The response, our response. God, when we preach, we see what happens. God, and lives are transformed, but there's conflict as well. And that happens here today. So help us to learn, to see ourselves in the text, and to hear what your Spirit is saying to each one of our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So speaking of taking trips, remember mom and dad, uh, taking your kids uh, on some kind of family uh, outing, you load up the car, your kids pile in, and you head off for some adventure. It's not too terribly long before you hear an infamous question being asked from very uh, impatient mouths in the back seat. Let's say that question together. Ready? You too. Wow. Well, Paul and Barnabas have set off on a bit of a journey, haven't they? Um, The young man in the back seat there, John Mark, who came along as a helper, he has asked the question, are we there yet? And apparently he didn't like the answer, and so he has turned back and gone home while the missionaries, of course, go on forward without him meandering through the Mediterranean world there, the Roman Empire, uh, preaching the good news on that first ever evangelism outreach there. Just beautiful. And so the going into all the world began in Acts chapter 13, and we saw that happen, and uh, spilling over now into chapter 14, where we pick up in the middle. Uh, They are still not there yet, all right? A couple more cities to go, some more preaching, some more miracles, some more lives transformed, and of course, part of the package, more 
conflict. And so as they bring their soul-saving message to modern-day Turkey, next stop is Iconium, a city there in southwest Turkey. All aboard? Ready? Here's the text. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas, the key missionaries here, went as usual into the Jewish synagogue first, the Jewish community. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and the Gentiles believed. The Gentiles are the non-Jewish Turks, if we can call them that, who uh, were tired of the Roman myths and the goddesses and gods, and they like the God of Israel, and they're hanging out with the Jewish people in community there, though they're not technically Jews. Verse 2, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. That's what happens. Some sided with the disgruntled, unbelieving Jews and others with the apostles who brought the word of life. There was a plot afoot, a conspiracy among the Gentiles and the Jews together, a coalition together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. They want to kill them. Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas find out about it and they flee to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside where they continue to preach the good news. Okay, one through seven today. A shorter passage than we normally take. Uh, We're going to walk through this here now. Uh, Before us, uh, the last three cities of the journey Uh, ending there at Derby, where the Holy Spirit convinces them they're there yet. (laughs) They're there, I should say. And it's time to turn around, go back to the sending church there in Syria, and they're going to retrace their steps, as we're going to see next week. And so let me catch you up to speed how we got to Iconium there. You'll recall here in the missionary journey slide, they start in Syria... It works only when I don't need it to work. There we go. They start there. They sail to uh, Barnabas' homeland there. And so when they, uh, then they go north to modern-day Turkey here, and that's where John Mark uh, goes home, and the missionaries go up, and last time we spoke, they were in Antioch, and this is where uh, they were before coming to this morning's text here at Iconium, which is modern-day Konya. And so let me uh, remind you what happened there in Antioch because they got kicked out, and that's why they're arriving at this new city. Uh, There was a huge response in the synagogue, so much so, and it was so amazing, that the next uh, Saturday, Sabbath, that they were preaching, they were invited to come back, and the whole city of Iconium, uh, Antioch, I should say, uh, turned out. And so the Jewish leaders got jealous and envious and stirred up trouble. This sounds familiar because it's the pattern in every city. 
And, and so they stir up so much trouble that they, they got booted out, Paul and Barnabas. And the Holy Spirit, however he led them, led them to a place called Iconium. And that is modern day um, Konya. And I got a picture of that just to show you everything. So they left Antioch of Pisidia after they booted them. They escorted them out of town. But they left a thriving church of great numbers of born-again, spirit-filled Christians behind. So it's God's work, right? And now it's time to go to Konya. Uh, that's about, uh, uh, let me see, about 100 miles uh, southwest Okay, and so now everything you just read in the episode that happens at Konya or uh, Iconium, all right, happens here. Next slide, please. There, that's where we are, all right, in Turkey. So everything you're reading about and everything we talk about, uh, that's where it's going on. So we can go back to the text here and we can begin talking about the conflict in. Iconium, no takers, that's what I would head this section here. And here's the pattern, the MO, the strategy the Holy Spirit has given uh, to go out into the pagan world that's under the uh, Romans and the mythology and the superstitions and the occult and the magic and all of that with no Bible knowledge, no bi biblical worldview at all, was to go first to somebody with a biblical worldview. And in some of these larger cities, there existed Jews who met in synagogue. Synagogue from the Greek means to the gathering place. And so the Jews, if you had 10 male Jews with families, you could have a synagogue and they would get together. And so your verse 1 says, they went as usual. They went first to find men and women who were reading the Bible, the Old Testament, singing psalms, quoting Proverbs, worshiping Yahweh, waiting for the Messiah. You see, it was kind of like walking into a place and start speaking in a little Hebrew, throwing the shaloms around, making friends, connecting, which paved a, a nice way to bring the word of new life. And see, the Jews had an advantage, didn't they? Of course, uh, they knew that Old Testament. They knew the prophecies. They were familiar with, there's 300 of them about Jesus. And they believed in one God, not many. And the, under the Roman Empire, everybody outside those four walls, they all believed there's multiple gods, the God of the earth, the God of the trees, the God of you and me, and all of that. And so it was kind of like walking in, and in the middle of the place is a coffee table, and there's a big jigsaw puzzle. They've been all working on it, right? And in the center is a missing piece. It's a big piece. It's in the shape of a cross. So these guys walk in, and they pull out that big piece. It's called Christ and Him crucified. And they give it to them, and many receive. Look at that response. Lo and behold, a great number, quoting 1B there, a great number of people open their hearts, and the Holy Spirit gives them new life. Now notice with me how Dr. Luke, through the Holy Spirit, describes uh, the connection with the success, the impact. They spoke so effectively. They had so much skill and ability and how they chose the words and the tone that they used that a great number of them got saved. Now, I underline stuff like that. Wow, they spoke so effectively. It's a given 
that if anybody ever turns to God, it's the Holy Spirit. And it, we know the Holy Spirit is using them and gifting them, but they have a part too. They spoke so effectively. I just want to know what that looks like. Are there any more important words than the ones that can enable a soul to go to heaven instead of hell? The message saves. It pleased God through the message of the cross to save those who believe. Romans chapter 10 says that faith, saving faith, comes from hearing the word. And the word comes through your mouth. Every time you share the gospel, should not we take great care that our words be effective, that we be skilled communicators, right? And so, yeah, this isn't a message about, you know, personal lifestyle or, or making money or some sort of values or philosophy. This is a message that heaven and hell hang in the balance. And so they spoke effectively because it's a matter of eternal life and death. So what does it mean to share the gospel even if you're at coffee uh, effectively? Well, first of all, they're prepared. They're not going to wing it. They've been thinking about it. They've been mulling things over. They've been prayerful. This is important. They don't want to be careless. So they're thinking things through. They're anticipating what are going to be the sticking points. What, what kind of questions or objections are they going to have? And, and let's make sure that we have the answer for that. And which scriptures of the, the gabillion scriptures we could use, which ones are just the cleanest and the most concise and get to the point? Which ones are useful for uh, soul winning, if we can call it that. And so, uh, yeah, and there's a new believer among us. He's probably here today. He got saved, and the guys at work are um, asking him questions. And so he called me all concerned, and he said, I told them, I'm new at this. I'm only a year in. You know, I'm studying myself. But I told them, they asked me, how do you get to heaven? And I said, three steps, confess, repent, and believe. And I said, you know what? Why don't we make it one step? Because it really is one step. Three steps sounds like I gotta do three things. What, you know? How about we just say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? Right? And he, and, he, and he goes, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's like, Oh, that's so much easier. And I said, Yeah. And then the three things you talked about confessing, repenting, believing that's all wrapped up in trusting God. Those are the things that happen. But Jesus said, uh, The Lord says, Look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. It's a one step simple process. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever simply one step believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. And he kept repeating me. And, and then he says, and what if they say, hey, I'm basically a good person? And then we talk about that. And then he said, well, what if they say, uh, how about children who die? And I said, well, God knows there's an age of accountability, and only God knows that age. And he goes, age of accountability, that's awesome. <laughs> and he's just, I could tell, he's just memorizing and soaking it in. And he says, what about people who've never heard the gospel? See, he's anticipating. They're going to say that. And maybe they already had said it. And then I said, well, you know, and I talked about this, conscience and creation. And he's like, conscience, conscience and creation. He goes, that's what I'm going to do. Why? He gets a window of opportunity. Heaven and hell hang. The angels are watching like, 
This is a big deal. Let my words be skillful. And it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. You know, it's how you say it, right? With compassion, like, like it matters, like you care. Warm and friendly, not cold and judgmental or indifferent, you know? I mean, if you're telling somebody, you may perish, your voice and your tone ought to sound like you care, right? And so, yeah, I mean, tone's important. Conviction, that you really believe the words. You're not using upspeak. You know, your sentences end down with a period, right? And so, yeah, heartfelt concern. So one of our young men uh, got an opportunity to preach at the mission. We love the mission. We support the mission. Ever, ever For 20 years, we've supported the Redwood Gospel Mission in so many different ways outside of financially. Uh, and so one of our young men were going to do a chapel where they bring all the guys in there, and they, uh, there's a service, and then they can eat. And then I am going to name him. Let's call him Andy because that's his name. <laughs> So Andy's sitting there, and I, I happen to be eating my lunch or something right by him. And I said, what is, what's up? And he said, I'm preparing for tonight. I'm going to preach at the gospel mission. I said, lay it on me. And so he started telling me a little bit. I said, no, no, preach to me like I'm the guy sitting there. So he said, okay, God is so great. He's so powerful. He, Jesus made everything. And, and I'm like, okay, that's good. Now, bro, hold on. These are alcoholics and drug addicts. They steal from their parents. They've ruined their entire lives. They've wasted their God-given life. They're living under bridges and robbing and stealing. And they're deluded and demonized. And after a life of misery and torment, they're going to go into a Christless eternity. Now put your hand on my shoulder and look into my eyes and tell me what you're going to say. And he goes, Pastor Ross, you're headed for trouble. No. <laughs> No, no, Andy. Tell me I'm them. And he goes, man, listen up. You're, you're living under bridges. You, you've tried to do life your own way. And, and it's not working, is it? But God loves you. And he's going to... Ah. Look at the person, their personality, their situation, and speak so effectively that there's an impact. Amen. It's pretty important. And so praise the Lord for that. And applause. And applause. That's a nice amen there. And so, and obviously can't say this enough. They knew the scriptures. And the scripture, you throw out a scripture, you realize you're you're throwing out a hand grenade from heaven. You realize that, right? They're not just words, they're words from God. And they're <laughs> enabled in those words is God's power to save. So toss them, toss them out. Hand grenades that explode into eternal life, you see. So learn a few one-liners, like whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Boom, if God is for us, who could be against us? His perfect love casts out all fear, right? Whoever believes in me will never die. John eleven twenty five. you've got to have those, you know, loaded, okay? <laughs> and a great number of Jews and Gentiles there, uh, believe and uh, yeah. Now look at the the wisdom in going there first. Now instead of two lonesome uh, miss- missionaries, you've got a whole great number of spirit-filled, born-again believers. <laughs> now we've gone from the two guys' resources to 
hundreds. Homes are open now. Resources, men and women of influence, men and women who speak the Lyconian language and dialect there. They know that. Who can interpret now? Do you see how God works? He says now they have a base, right? And they start organizing a church. And now that's cause for concern, all of this momentum and new resources and like-minded people gathering together in the name of Jesus. That's cause for concern for those. Check those words out. They're my favorite words of the passage. They've refused to believe. Why do I like them so much? Because it shows you how God thinks about unbelievers. He's not buying it for a second. He says that everybody who's an unbeliever isn't as innocent as it may sound, that they need just a little more information or clarification. In Romans chapter 1, it says the Holy Spirit, through creation and our God-given conscience, has made his existence plain to every human being. That's what God thinks. God says that at some level, at the deepest level of a man or a woman's soul, they know there's a God. They know right from wrong. They know they need to turn to him. Oh, every unbeliever knows more than they're letting on to according to the Bible, and so they refuse. Unbelief is a choice. It's a sin which God will hold people accountable for. Uh, Spence, how about John 3 there, verse 17? This is the verdict Jesus saying. Lights come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And so they make a choice. They get light, they get dark, they know dark, and they choose. We all do that. There's choosings going on right now. That's what we do when the gospel comes. And so some chose life and and others chose self and sin over the Savior. This is how it goes. And so uh, those who don't want to walk in the light, and thank you for that scripture, uh, Spencer, they begin to poison uh, the community so that uh, they will stop the spread of this gospel before it gets out of control. And so the way to do that is to slander and to smear uh, the apostles. And so notice the Jewish leaders are doing the poisoning to the Gentiles. So here's what they're saying. Listen, we're in the business. We know the Bible. We're Jews. These men are Jews. Paul and Barnabas are Jews. So they're going out to the Turks and saying, listen, everybody, we know this stuff. We're the experts and they're false teachers. They're just here. They're looking for your money with this newfangled religion. They've taken our Old Testament and they've changed it into something, you know, with this would-be Messiah. And so they're smearing and poisoning their minds. It's just terrible. Ever have your mind poisoned about somebody? Of course you have. Teaching English in the East Bay at that college I talk about a lot. We had an in-service, that means after school, uh, some meeting, you know. And a gal from headquarters was coming to share some information and business about investing or the retirement plans or whatever. And let's call her Nancy because, thank you. Nancy says, (laughs) Nancy says, ooh, that witch. She's coming. Those are her words. 
that witch. Oh, she just never has anything good to say. And she's boring. She get ready, everybody, to be bored to tears. Now, I hate to be bored. And I'm sorry if I've ever bored you. But I, I didn't mean to. So first service, I said, hey, I hate to be bored. I hope I've never bored you. And the person was yawning so big and so loud. <laughs> People almost heard it. And I was like, wow, sound effect on cue. You know, so... Yeah, and so, yeah, 3 o'clock came. I go in looking for the witch, and I'm like, oh, I didn't like her already. I was like, oh, not an hour. Bracing to be tormented, right? And in walks this bright-countenanced blonde woman who looks so friendly and professional, and she just was so nice and informative, and she started with a little humor, and I was totally engaged. And I remember sitting there thinking, where's the witch? No, honestly, I was thinking, well, the witch must have got stuck in traffic because, and and they sent this nice lady to replace that witch. But no, no, she's the witch. She was the big bad witch, and my mind had been poisoned, which made it hard for me to receive. It took 15 minutes for me to take down the wall and listen to her, and that's what they were doing. And come to find out, and this is hearsay, so you can't prove it, Uh, But come to find out that uh, there was a position opened at the district office, which Nancy wanted, but the witch got it instead. Oh, anytime somebody's poisoning your mind, filling you in on the details of somebody in a most unflattering way, just know this always. There's another side to the story. There's more to the story. Just take that uh, piece of... Uh, wisdom that comes from many years on the planet. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so yeah, they want everybody to dislike these um, missionaries before they even meet them. Now, let's just see how they react, Paul and Barnabas, to lies and slander and misinformation. I just expected, you know, they they refused to believe those guys, and they poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now, that's ugly, right? So Paul and Barnabas spent a considerable time there. Consequently, they hung out more and spoke more boldly. You know, they don't head for the hills. They don't say, oh, uh, we need to stop speaking because we're offending people and people are getting angry and this is a big mess. They don't hold a press conference to apologize or defend themselves. No. They sidestep the drama. They don't take it personal. They ignore the insults and they spend considerable time. They're doing what God has called them to do in boldly and not apologetic. You see, This is their strategy when it comes to handling slander. Listen up. When we are cursed, Paul speaking, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become like the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this present moment. And still, they continue on in love doing what God has called them to do, undeterred, undeterred. Listen, there's a lot going on here. So they're not going to stop. They're handling it like uh, men in keeping with Jesus' words, Luke chapter 6, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, 
bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. So they're just taking it all in stride, taking it on the chin. And, and until God tells us otherwise, we are going to keep the doors open, we're going to keep singing to the Lord, and we're going to keep congregating to bring it up to uh, uh, contemporary uh, situation there. So uh, they continue to preach. And I love, in other translations, it's called the message of grace. I just love that in verse 3 there. You can see, follow along. Um, that's amazing. It's not a message like, clean up your life, get your act together, you know, turn over a new leaf. It's a message of, you can't do that, so God stepped in and he wants to help you. Yeah, you keep falling, you keep sinning, you keep being faithless, and he remains faithful. And you can't earn his love and it's not like happy with you, oh, you're in church today and you miss church or you sin or you blow it and now he doesn't love you anymore. No, it's the message of his grace. Unconditional love, rich in mercy, faithful through all generations. That's the message of grace and I love it. Let him who is thirsty come and drink. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water come and drink and live forever. The last words of the Bible. The message of grace. And of course, accompanying, you're following me, signs and wonders, of course. These are big claims. These are people that don't have an Old Testament, all of Turkey, right? They don't have a, a biblical worldview of God at all. And so they are given by God uh, signs and wonders and assigned points to the gospel message that this claim is true, to point them to Jesus. That's the point of a sign. They point away from the sign to the object of our wonder, the Lord Jesus Christ. But so many, even back then and today, are enamored by the sign themselves. And that's just ridiculous. Let me give an analogy of that. When the kids were little, on occasion, Every other year or so, we'd go down to Disneyland, you know. We'd be driving down the five with three little kids uh, there. And we had this thing that the first one to see the sign, Disneyland, right? It would say, like, exits or whatever, right? There are a few signs like that. But the first one was always exciting, and everybody's waiting. And I'd give them the signal, hey, we're, we're coming in range. Be looking out for a sign, right? And so they would see it and explode. Not once did one of my kids say, Dad, Dad, what are you doing? Stop the car. Let us get out. What's the sign? Let, let's, let's all go hang out and play by the freeway, by the sign. And so they get out and like, look at the sign. I love you, sign. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The reason they exploded with pleasure is because they knew by the sign the thing that they love and they're excited about was closing in, becoming near. It was all about the park, not about the sign. But today, it's all about the sign in some movements, right? And you know what Jesus called that back 2,000 years ago? He says, that's, that's an adulterous generation. It's all about the signs. Oh, why did he use that word, adultery? He says, because the sign is my mistress. I'm the deal. Right? But y'all, instead of loving me, you go to the sign. 
You say, pull the car over. Look at the sign. Oh, the sign, the sign, the sign. And he goes, that's committing adultery in your heart because you're all about the sign and not about the Savior. And so, yeah, that's what we got here. But not everybody came, you know, to Jesus there through the sign. Verse 4, some sided with the opposition and some sided with Team Jesus. And that's what the Bible says the gospel will do. It didn't come to unite us. It did not come to unite the world. It came to divide the world into two groups, believers and unbelievers. Jesus said, hey, don't get the wrong idea about me. I didn't come to unite the world in peace. I came to bring a sword. Matthew 10, quoting Jesus. I came to bring a sword to divide people. And I testify to the world the truth and those on the side of truth, speaking to Pontius Pilate, listen to me. So I draw a line in the sand and every time someone hears the gospel, they go left or they go right. And then there's a wall of enmity between them. Bitterness, a little hostility that comes from the, uh, the team that opposes the truth. That's the way it goes. I just saw this happen. Real time, two days ago, I'm in the market. I'm wearing the Rock logo. I didn't even remember I was wearing it. Somebody said the Rock, and then a spiritual gospel-centered conversation happened. No, of course, nobody's behind me. And I know this is our time. There's a checker and a bagger. I start talking. The checker rolls her eyes, turns her head, throws a vibe like, please, stop this madness. You know, don't talk to me. This one, tell me more. What time are your services? You see, the gospel went out and split them, right? And now there's a wall between them. At break, what's going on? Oh, you know, and this one's all happy. Did you hear that? Wow. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And this one goes, oh, please, right? And turns away. And now the relationship is strained. Why? Because one went left and one went right. One is a sheep, one is a goat. One is, or to use all of his illustrations, one is a good fish, one is a bad fish. There's either, you see, we've got 5,000 languages, 196, depending on the day, nations, 10,000 people, groups, whatever. God doesn't see any of that. He sees two distinctions. You're forgiven or condemned. You're a believer or you refuse to believe. That's what happens when you preach the gospel. So, you know, he said, I hate to say this to you, but heads up, your enemies are going to be at your own dinner table because the mother-in-law loves me and the daughter-in-law doesn't. The son doesn't love me, but the father does. And so there's the wall. He says, hate to say it. Now, don't try to fix that. Don't try to fix that. You can't fix that. Or you'll endanger your own soul and those around you with your new message that takes down the wall and says, oh, everything's cool. There's no more of heaven and hell and repenting of sin and all of that. So, yeah, be careful for that, okay? Uh, yeah, so we move on. Bottom line is the lack of commonality between an unbeliever and a believer at the deepest level of life is what brings that kind of hostile wall that divides us. Verse 5, you see the aggression comes from, from the opposition. 
never from those who side with the truth because we're called to love, to speak kindly, even with those who oppose us. So verse 5 there is in view, a multiracial coalition uh, striving together to shut down the new work and attack and kill uh, the apostles. And so, yeah, things were bad before, right? They were poisoning everybody's mind, but they were pushing the envelope. How long can we stay here until the Holy Spirit says, okay, move to the next town? And, and things have heated up, gotten to the boiling point. Now lives are in danger, and it's time to be smart and move on. And so, yeah, um, yes, and so... Uh, I I love what Luke uh, 18 says in verse 32. Jesus uses this word to mistreat. Now I told you this this word is so benign in English, to be mistreated, whatever. Oh, in Greek, it's to be tormented, sadistically humiliated. Like being stripped in public, like they did to Jesus, and Jesus uses it where I was quoting Luke 18, Jesus said, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be handed over to the Romans and I'll be mocked and treated shamefully is the idea there. It means to be stripped and embarrassed and humiliated and mocked while you're stripped and spat in your face. That's what they did to our Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus says, heads up, guys, the way they treated me, they're going to treat you the same way. And don't take it personal. Is this your stuff? This isn't your story. They're treating you the same way because you're saying the same thing I said and you're living the same kind of life that I lived. So you're not above me. A student can't be above your mentor, right? So if they called me the devil, what are they going to call you? So don't expect, you know, all of this and don't say something strange is happening. Nobody likes me, you know? in regard to your Christian witness. Yeah, no standing ovations there. And so the missionaries uh, find out not only do they want to publicly disgrace them and hurt them and torture them, they want to ultimately kill them. And, And stoning happened in different ways. They would take them, drag them to the quarry, and they would either pile stones, just start piling stones on them, force them to lay down, and, for, and put the rocks on top until they're just crushed to death. Slow, agonizing. Unbelievable. Or they just start hurling them until you are dead from being, from rocks. I can't even, I don't even have the words to say, and they did that to millions of people. But Paul says in first in second Thessalonians chapter one to people who are under the gun, he says, Listen up, people, God is just he's coming back, and I'm paraphrasing, in a blaze of glory with powerful angels. He's gonna light up the sky and he's going to bring retribution and and I'm quoting, to pay back trouble to those who have troubled you. And you will be marveling at the sight to see Jesus. Uh, But justice will be satisfied. If you're not in the sun, you're in for uh, a lot of trouble. And so, yeah, things are going to be balanced. Uh, But but notice, yeah, they flee. Now, I I love this. Uh, Discretion is the better part of valor. You've heard that, right? They are not running because they're afraid. Oh, no, they're going to kill us. They're not afraid to die. 
They're not afraid to die. Why are they running? Because the Holy Spirit said, okay, time to move to another place. They're going to try to kill you. And, and your ticket's not up. Your expiration date's not over. So we're moving on. So discretion being the better part of valor means sometimes it's wise to step out of harm's way and, and better than courageously going into a battle that you're going to lose. So it's okay. He tells us when. He tells us when. Stand your ground. They know. They know his voice. So, yeah. They're not, and notice, they go to a new place now. Um, about four, about, how far is it? About 50 miles um, southeast. They're going to two little towns with no Jewish synagogue because it's a smaller town. But God will do a miracle and send a message that gets misunderstood and once again, they're not afraid to die. They're preaching the gospel, and boom, they get attacked. So much so, so violent, that some scholars say that Paul actually is killed, and God raised him from the dead. More about that uh, next time. Now, I want to close out with a question. Now, what drives these guys to keep doing what they're doing they're slandered, they're marginalized, they're victimized, they're the, the object of conspiracy to commit murder every single place they go. Do you know how many years are left on the clock for them? Ten years! Ten years of this. Twenty New Testament churches are going to start up there. Uh, he's going to write 13 New Testament books. He's got 10 years to go. How do you do that and not grow weary and give up? What motivates you to say, let's pick up and go to the next town? I'll tell you what it is. It's the focus of our communion time. It's the sacrifice of God wrapped in human flesh that so loved Paul and Barnabas, and they know it. They feel it. Paul says, I was angry. I hated God's people. I hated Jesus and everything to do with them. And yet, out of six billion people, he looks down on a hater like me, a wretched person like me, and he saw me, and he loved me. So now Paul's motto is this. He says, man, you know, I've been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who, here it is, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I should have gone straight off the cliff. But when the love of God gets a hold of your heart, you want to do things like this. You're like, bring it on. Is there fear and anxiety and, and, and frustration? Of course, all of these things. But down deep inside my soul, when, when I'm called to do something hard that I don't want to do, something painful happens, to keep responding in love, it's because the Jesus is hanging on the cross thinking about me. There's a lot of people in the world that June 3rd, 1979, I'm in a bar. I know the truth. People are witnessing to me. The light's shining on me. My father, Jewish man, gets saved. I watched it in front of me. And I didn't want anything to do. And I'm parting away in a disco 
and he comes and saves me. I walk out born again. This person walked out of that bar. Against my own will, he dragged me to life and saved me. And now all he asks is I abstain from sin. I put others first. I love those who hate me. Of course, whatever you want. God, after what you did for me, let's pray together. Father God, we look to you now. We thank you for that real presence of the Spirit in our hearts and that love that's taken hold of us, God, that that never lets go. That's what gets us out of bed in the morning, facing adversity with a smile and a peace in our hearts and a willingness to do things, God, that that we don't want to do that are hard to do. But look what you did for us. God, that's the bottom line. So help us as we're taking communion to think about our hard life, (laughs) the cross that we bear, our crosses and losses in light of the love and the pain and the agony that you endured on our behalf. And let that gratitude grab a hold of us and may we see as a result that our troubles are light and momentary and temporal and they're achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs any suffering here. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.